And the church said amen to that, right? Um, what a great day it is to see the choir back up here on the stage. Uh, enjoyed that. Hope you enjoyed it. <clears throat> the, only, the only trouble is I'm preaching this morning, so I didn't get to sing with them up there, so that's kind of a bummer for me. But uh, instead, I get the privilege of sharing one of the most intimate prayers we see in all of Scripture. In John 17, um, we start up a new theme for this particular chapter, and we call that uh, the greatest prayer ever offered. And so um, that's where we're headed today. Um, I'm privileged to kick that off. And like I said, you're going to get to see in this passage a most intimate look at the father and son's relationship as Jesus prays there. So let's, uh, let's open up. Let's look at chapter 17, verses 1 through 5. And I will start to read that to you. Jesus spoke these things, and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Blessed be the word of the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for these, this passage of Scripture, this John 17, the insight that you give us in a most intimate moment between you and your Son. And we just say thank you for that. May the uh, message that goes out this morning out of the lips of man be one that will glorify you and show the true effects of the prayer of Jesus Christ to you. Be with us now as we open your word, as we study it, as we look at it. In your precious son's name we pray, amen. Amen. So we're coming off of, uh, if you've been with us, you've been doing John now for uh, a while. Um, I won't say how long it's been, it's been a while. We will get through John eventually. And, uh, and so we're, we're headed there, but this chapter 17 um, is by far, in my estimation, the most intimate of times between the Son and the Father. And it's, uh, I would say, the greatest prayer ever offered. And so that's why we titled this The Greatest Prayer Ever Offered. Um, there are 650 prayers in all of Scripture, and none of them are as full as this one is. Uh, this is the longest one ever recorded, and as far as I know, it really gives us an intimate look into the Father and the Son's relationship. And this is what Jesus was doing right before he would go to a cross. This is between what we've seen in chapters 13 through 16, all of the promises that he's made, and Gethsemane. He's headed to Gethsemane, and um, from the upper room to Gethsemane, he would be arrested there, he'll go on trial, he'll be abandoned, he'll be falsely accused, he'll be beaten, he'll be mocked, crucified, buried, resurrected, becomes the provision of atonement and his ascension to the throne at the right hand of the Father where he is at right now. Can I hear you say amen to that? That's where he was at. In between all of the promises he'd made in the previous four chapters, and now he's facing that, and what does he do? He stops and prays. He had prayed throughout his ministry, but here we get to get a, a look inside and really hear his words. The disciples got to hear him speak this. And so um, this chapter is full of tons of theology, and the depths are uh, <laughs> not to be attained fully, I would say. But we're going to do our best this morning just to walk through it. Martin Luther said of this passage that it is a prayer so deep, so rich, so wide, that no one can truly fathom it. 
And after studying this passage last week and this week, I would have to agree with Luther. It is very deep. It's very uh, full. John Knox, the great reformer, said that this prayer was the passage where he first cast his anchor, meaning that it was the converting text that God used to bring him into heaven. And moments before he would face death, moments before, it is the passage that he asked his wife to read to him. This John 17. I get the first five verses, and we just read those, and so uh, let's go. Let's do that. We have three different things we want to talk about. I, I titled this Timing is Everything. Um, our first point will be time to glorify the Son, and then a time to come to eternal life, and finally, time for Jesus to go home. So those will be the three points that we're going to make. So let's uh, begin with verse 1. I want to point out the time to glorify the Son. That's where we're at in this verse. And so um, these things are um, so important. The hour has come. That's what I want to concentrate on. Jesus spoke these things and lifting up his eyes to heaven. He said, Father, the hour has come. I love that he addressed him as Father. I let you know the relationship that they had. And so uh, it's a posture of humility by calling him the Father. He's the Son. He's reliant on the Father. Father used by Jesus here to indicate their relationship. His submission, his love, his respect toward the Father as his Son. And um, if you know anything about the ancient times there, that's exactly how things were viewed. The Son always showed respect and submitted to the Father. And in this case here, in the heavenly uh, relationship, it's the same way. So the hour had come. Um, on that, I want to say that I'm using the term hour, and I translated it, I think it's better translated time for us. Because when we hear the word hour, we think of a 60-minute period. Well, we know that's not true. It's going to take more than 60 minutes for all of this to take place. But the time had come. So the time, that's how we had timing is everything. So if you remember earlier, if you were with us, and uh, if not, you can look back in these passages. In chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, he said, my time is not right now. He wasn't ready yet. The time had not come yet. So there's a couple places in John that we saw where he said, it's not the time for me. And uh, one of those times was when uh, chapter 2, verse 3 says, there he was at the wedding, uh, and at the wedding feast there, and he says, uh, and this is what happens. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does that have to do with us? My hour has not yet come. So we see that there was a time when his hour wasn't come. And I would just remind you, sons and daughters, Probably not a good idea if your mom talks to you to call her a woman like that. Just want you to know that. Probably not the best idea. Now, Jesus Christ could get away with it, but I wouldn't talk to my mom that way because if I did, I would have to duck probably. But in this scenario, he's just saying, hey, it's not my time yet. The time hasn't come. And then he says it again in chapter 7 at the feast. The, the, uh, the disciples are telling him, hey, now you should let yourself be known. You should go out and tell them who you are and do that. And he says, wait a minute, he says in verse 6 of chapter 7, Jesus says to them, my time is not yet here. Oh, but his time is coming, and now it is. And in, ver in chapter 12, verse 23, we saw a little bit earlier, in the, a few weeks back, that he said there that um, in, in John 12, he says, the hour for the Son of Man to be glorified is here. And this is when he was coming into the town. And he says, now is the hour. Okay, so the time had already begun, but now it's another time, and it's even closer. It's closer at hand. And now he knows that after this prayer, he's going to Gethsemane, and then he's going to face a cross very shortly thereafter. So the hour had come. The time is now it was predestined time. This was a time that he had been looking for in eternity past. Before the world ever was, he knew this time was coming. It was a predestined time by his father, and he knew it was coming. 
It did not catch him off guard that the time was coming. He knew about it. Everything that he did was pointed to this time. It had been on his radar for a long time. The time had come for him to fulfill the will of the Father that he had been predestined to do. And listen to this. I recognize this. The Father had not only predestined what he would do, which was to die on the cross, but the Father also determined and managed. He kind of micromanaged everything. Every detail was prescribed by the Father. And I wanted to say something to you. You should know something. You need to realize this morning that God has done the same thing in each and every one of your lives. He has a plan and a schedule in your life. Determine the day of your birth. He determines the day of your death. He holds the very last day in his hand. He knows right now how many breaths you will take before he brings you home. No matter how well you eat or drink or exercise or don't exercise or go to the doctor 400 times, you will not add any time. You won't improve the time even. God has it predestined. He knows. He knew that for his son. He knows that for you today. It is a divinely determined time schedule for your life, and you will not improve it. So we move on. The time had come for the Savior, for our Savior, for Jesus Christ. And what does he say to the Father there? He says, glorify your Son. Glorify your Son. Now, we could be here all night talking about just that. Glorify your Son. What does that mean? The breadth of what that means, the depth of what that means for the Son to be glorified by the Father. Well, I'm not going to be here all night because i got a lunch waiting for me just like you do. But as I looked at it, I thought, well, maybe I could take a shot at it. This is, in this is a request. This is him requesting something. It's a petition to the Father. He's saying, glorify me now. This was a prearranged arrangement. <laughs> it was a prearranged contract between him and the Father. And before the foundations of the earth, he knew he would come to this moment. He is going to say, just glorify your son now. And we go, glorify your son? What does that mean? Praise him? Glorify means to praise or, or uh, basically means to praise or worship someone, to glorify them, to acknowledge who they are. But for him at this time, the petition that he had to the Father is that the Father would do everything necessary for him to be glorified. It was his request of the Father that he would sustain him on the cross, that he would sustain him to the cross, that he would sustain him as he was beaten and mocked and scorned and put a crown of thorns on his head. Father, will you sustain me in it? Oh, glorify me. Glorify me. So that he would, and then Father, accept the atonement of the cross. As we agreed back here in our contractual agreement almost, if you would. Glorify me. Resurrect me from the tomb once they put me in it. Receive me back into heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father to be the King of kings and the Lord of lords, thereby glorifying me. Back to his full glory, Bring him through the cross to the crown at the right hand of the Father. Now, I found this interesting. In the next phrase, it says this. It says, glorify your son. And like I said, we could talk about that a lot more, but we don't have time. But listen to this, what it says there. That the son may glorify you. You see, the word that has, it means there's a purpose coming. So he says, glorify me, Father. So he's asking, he's requesting, he's petitioning the Lord to say, glorify me. Have you ever prayed 
something and when you look back at it later you said man that was a selfish prayer you ever pray and get up and realize the only person you prayed for was you when we can learn something from Jesus here the purpose of the request that the son may glorify you it was not a selfish prayer he says, glorify me that I may glorify you. It was all going to go right back to him. Now look, if you glorify the Son, you definitely glorify the Father. If you glorify the Father, you definitely glorify the Son because they're one. They're God. They're three in one. The Holy Spirit is even glorified when you do that. But this is more specific. It, nothing about his prayer is selfish. He's glorifying the Father is his real request. The real request is saying, look, I need to be glorified because my job is to glorify you. So if, I don't, if you don't glorify me, I won't be able to glorify you. If you don't complete the work on the cross that I'm going to go to, because it's going to take the Father to help him complete that work. If you don't do that, then I can't glorify you. But my ultimate goal is that you would be glorified. The successful cross work would allow God's full glory to be on display. And his, on the cross, his glory was on display. Wasn't it? Wasn't it? Didn't he, didn't he show his holiness? His holiness was represented on the cross by who was on the cross. It wasn't just anyone. It was God in flesh that went on the cross. Because that's the only thing that would make a difference. He had to go to the cross on my behalf. On your behalf. It took God in flesh to satisfy God. Nothing else would work. You can't get there without the Son of God. And his attributes are displayed there with that, the holiness. There is no other way but through the Son on the cross to get to God the Father. The, the righteousness of God is shown there as he would judge sin on the cross. He says, I have to, in order to make you right, I have to have some kind of payment, a ransom that we sang about in a song earlier. I'd accept the ransom, and now you're seen as righteous because a righteous one went on the cross, and he bore the sin, and he was the one that was satisfactory to me. He was the propitiation for who I needed him to be. It's who you need him to be. And then he says, and then I love this one. I looked at it, I said, and his love is shown on the cross. There's no greater display of an attribute of God than his love on the cross. He freely gave his son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten one. Oh, what a display of love. And it was on your behalf and my behalf. You see, the Father's glorified when the Son is glorified. Philippians 2, 8 through 11, he says this, being found in appearance, this is Paul writing this, he says, being found in appearance as a man, talking about Jesus, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death and not just obedient but he said he found joy in it according to Hebrews 12 too he, he saw the joy before him to die on our behalf what why because he was fulfilling what the father wanted fulfilled Even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. It's above every name, people. And so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, he covered it pretty much all, above, below, and, and on. And let me tell you, if you're here today and you got invited and, and you feel like you just kind of got drugged to church because you didn't really even want to be here and now you got to listen to this guy up here talking about Jesus and all that, let me tell you something. You might not believe in him, but one day you're going to bow. One day everyone is going to bow. Everyone that's ever been born will bow before the king of kings. 
And look, here's what it comes down to. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Those of you who have denied him, those of you who have said he's not God, he's not who he's supposed to be, he's not who he says he was, one day your tongue is going to confess him to be Lord. And what for? What's the reason for it? Look at this. To the glory of God the Father. To the glory of God the Father. You're going to kneel. You're going to get on your knees and you're going to say, he is who he says he was. And that will glorify the Father when you do that. He exalts him and then he glorifies him. Oh my goodness. What a great example of how we should be praying. Is your prayer life to the glory of the Father? Is it? When you pray for things, do you, the things that you pray for, do you think that those things, if you get them, that that will glorify God? If not, maybe we should start there. That'll improve your prayer life right away. You want to know how to get your prayers answered? Start praying according to the glorifying of God when you pray. How do you do that? First of all, get in his will. And although it's important that you pray for yourself, it's very important, Christ does it here. Right? Don't always pray for everybody else and forget to pray for yourself. Always pray for you. You need, you need to pray. You need to pray for you. If you only pray for others, you'll dry up and blow away. You've got to pray for yourself in this. You need that fellowship with the Lord. Start with interceding for what will bring God glory. What will bring him glory? Well, let's see. Me having a bigger house. Me having a better car. Oh, that'll bring God glory. The only way God will get glory out of that is if I accept those kind of gifts in humility. And then he might be glorified in that fashion. We move on. So now the time has come for eternal life. Our second point. The Father in glorifying the Son made certain of the success of Jesus' work on the cross and the Father will not let Jesus die in vain. He didn't send him all the way down from heaven into the body, into the virgin birth to take on and do ministry, doing miracles, doing all that he did, put him on a cross and not let it do what it was supposed to do. In verses 2 and 3, even as you gave him authority, even as you, God the Father, gave the Son authority, what does that authority look like? In anticipation of the authority that he would restore to Jesus once he comes back in the ascension. Once he's at the right hand of the Father, he gets this authority. Okay? Now he didn't lose, I want to make sure he knows, he does not lose his glory by being here in flesh. But his glory is veiled. Okay, you cannot, we couldn't look on him. It'd be too bright. So I had to veil his glory. But look at this. I want to show you this. I ran into this quote from R.C. Sproul about this word authority. This word authority is huge in this passage because he's given authority over eternal life. Okay, so look what, this is R.C. Sproul said the, the following words about this in this passage. It's from the word, this authority is from the word, it's a Greek word called ekthusia. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Bill's shaking his head kind of yes, so maybe I've got it correct. And what that means in a, in a nutshell is out of self. Out of self. And I'll just read you his quote. There is nothing outside of God that is contingent. There is nothing outside of God that alters or changes God. That every purpose of God is within himself. And God is not dependent on anyone or anything outside of himself. We are all dependent upon him. He is not dependent upon us in any way. And this authority refers to his absolute sovereignty that resides within himself. There is no need for any votes to be taken to confer upon him sovereignty. He does not need your vote. He is sovereign. There is no mutual agreement by which we need to come together to offer to God by which he is now free to work. No, it all is within himself. That is what the word authority means. It means the right to rule over all. It is supreme authority. It is ultimate overruling, unhindered authority, unlimited, not dependent on anything or anyone outside of himself. That's what the word authority means right here. 
I don't know about you, I was impressed by that. And who does he have authority over? Well, it says there, there's two groups that he has authority over. And they're both represented by the word all. Which is kind of weird when you think of all and you've split it into two groups. But it's not when you categorize it. And when you categorize it correctly. One, it says that he is over all flesh. Over all flesh. Now don't let that confuse you. That just means anyone born. Anyone that's been born. That's all flesh. He is the authority over all flesh. Anyone been born, he's authority. That's what it means. The second one, the second category, the other all, all whom you have given him. Who's the you? The Father. All that the Father has given him. That's the second category. So let me, let me show you something here. Group one is all flesh. Group two, all whom are given. So the ones that are given are given out of the first category. Follow that? If, you, if you're here today, and you are, because we're talking, okay, so don't say you're not here because I can see you. All right, so in that, that means you're in that category. You're all flesh, because you're all in flesh, right? So you're in that category. But the second category is all whom are given. So watch this. I'm going I'm to show you the distinctions. Group one, universal, everyone. Everyone's included in it. Group two, all whom are given, is specific. Very specific. In, in the first category, it's comprehensive. Kind of the same thing as universal. In group two, it's limited. The ones he's given are limited. There's a limited amount that he gave. And then group one, they're the created. Anything that's been created in flesh, they're under that category. In group two, it's those who've been chosen, those who've been given, the chosen ones are in group two. In group one, it requires physical birth to be in that category. How many of you have had physical birth? Every one of you. All right. But in group two, it's spiritual birth needs to take place. In group one, we have elect and we have non-elect. In group two, we only have the elect. Those given. Follow the Father, follow this. The Father has given Jesus all authority, the sovereignty over all flesh, and also has given it to him on anyone that he's given him. Anyone that the Father has chosen and given to the Son, he give him authority over that. Authority to what? That he may give eternal life. He can give it or he can say no. He has the authority to do both, but he has authority over eternal life. Guess whose category is in the eternal life phase. That's the one who is given by the Father to the Son. That's the eternal life category. The, just, the other category is just anyone born, right? As we already discussed. And he may give them eternal life. So this is the, only the Lord Jesus Christ gives eternal life. He's the only one, right? If he's given the full authority over it, he's the only one that can give it. So we see that in the passage, and then we see it here. Not, listen, not the church. Church doesn't have authority to give you eternal life. Your, your pastor doesn't have the authority to give you eternal life. Your counselor, your, spirit, your so-called spiritual counselor, has no authority to give you eternal life. No priest can give it to you, no pope. Eternal life means life of ages to come. What is it? It's the eternal life that he grants. That's what it is. It's the life that comes in the future. In the ages to come, you'll have life forever, basically. It's quality and quantity. Listen, if you're here today, you're going to exist forever. If you're here today, you will exist eternally. That may shock some of you. It's true. But you won't have eternal life unless you meet Jesus. Because you can't get the gift from the authority maker that you don't accept. If you won't accept him, if you're not willing to accept the prepaid gift, free prepaid gift, if you won't accept that, 
You're going to exist, but it's not going to be in heaven. And it's not going to be with him. It's going to be apart from him. And let me tell you, we know that hell is a dark, dark place where there's fire and gnashing of teeth, uh, a loneliness. We know all of those things. But the worst thing about being in hell will be being separated from the Father. It's separation from God makes it the worst place in the world you want it. You would never want to be there. How does this life come to you now on earth? Is it possible to have eternal life now? Well, yes, it is. You know how that's possible? By believing on the name of the Son of God, by believing in what he did, that he came to the earth, born of a virgin, he died on a cross, and he lived a perfect life, he fulfilled the law, he died on a cross, took your sins on that cross, was buried, rose again, seen by 500, ascending into the heavens, he sits at the right hand of the Father, and his atoning work is enough. That's who he is. That's what you believe. When you believe that, you are given eternal life. You hear us say sometimes in church, you need to be a believer. Well, that's what we mean. We mean you need to be able to believe in that and not just believe it as a fact. It's a fact whether you believe it or not. All right? The fact of the matter is, this pulpit is holding up my glasses. You might not believe it, but it's still there and it's still happening. That's the way this works. You might believe in all that. You might believe there was a Jesus. You might believe he came to the earth. You might even believe he died and rose again. But if you don't believe that and that alone and you don't place saving faith in that fact, you don't have him. And if you don't have him, the way I see it in this passage, you don't have eternal life. This is eternal life. In verse 3, that they may know you, Father. That's what brings eternal life, is knowing the Father. But you can't know the Father if you don't know the Son. The only true God. And look how he adds himself in here. And Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. He just kind of tags himself onto the Father. Almost looks sneaky, but it really isn't. He did it purposefully. So the, the point of getting eternal life is knowing him. Knowing the Father, knowing Christ and knowing the Father. That they may know you. The word know here is in the present tense. It's right now. You should know him now. If you know him today, if you've placed faith in him and believe in him and know him today, you have eternal life. You're living eternal life right now. Yeah, it's, it's right now. It's yours right now. It's not something you get when you get to heaven. Mm-mm. If you have that view, take it out. Get rid of that. The minute you place faith in Jesus Christ, you are automatically given eternal life. So how do we get it? It's present tense knowing the Father. It is happening right now if you have believed on Christ, who the Father sent, the only true God. You have to know the true God. Not the man-made small God, the little G God that men invent. That's not the God. That will get you nowhere. That'll end you in a fiery place. It's important that you see the Son and the Father are one in this passage, and that's why he tagged himself onto it. This is eternal life that you may know, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ. It's both. You have to know both. But you can't get to the Father without the Son. And remember, it was the Father's design to send the Son. That brings us to our third position here. And that is, it was time for Jesus to go home. It was time for Jesus to go home. And he says that in verse 4 and 5. I glorified you on the earth. What? What? I glorified you on the earth. He's the only one that could say that fully. You can bring God glory, but he, everything he did glorified the Father to his completeness, to his fullness. So he says, I glorified you on earth. How did the Son glorify the Father? Well, keep looking. 
having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Now you're saying, wait a minute, he hasn't gone to the cross yet, so he hasn't accomplished it yet. No, it, it's, a, it's a past tense. And that accomplished, that word is a past tense. That's why it has an ED on the end of it. Not I'm going to accomplish it, it's accomplished. He prayed with assurance that the work on the cross would succeed, accomplishing our salvation. He already knew it was going to work. He trusted the Father to make it happen. This is why having accomplished is in the past tense, is because it's already a done deal. Remember, when Jesus is praying, he's praying in a here and now kind of a thing. He isn't limited by time like us. He already knew that this was going to happen. In eternity past, before the foundations of the world, he and the Father laid out this plan, and they made an agreement. So here's what happens, though. It's, it is accomplished because the work which he had given him to do is, gonna get, is being done and has been done by him. So you notice that Jesus doesn't feed the world. He didn't come to feed the world. Not with physical food, with spiritual food he did. But with physical food, he didn't come to do that. He didn't come to make all the lepers be able to walk. That's not what his point was. It wasn't his purpose. That's not why he came. He had a specific work assigned to him by the Father. That specific work was us. It was to provide for us, the ones he had given, a way of salvation by dying on a cross. It was very specific. Specific assignment to secure our salvation, the elect, to secure the salvation of the elect. And then specific assignment to go to that cross, atonement for our sins. No one else could do the work of the Savior. We already talked about that. It had to be God in flesh. So you have only God in human flesh could accomplish the work. Greatest work ever done. Greatest work ever done. Accomplished on the cross. No greater accomplished work. None. So we see that his glorifying of the Father while he's been on earth, and let me tell you, that is a huge statement. Having accomplished the work, it was all about the work he did. That's what glorified the Father, the work he did. So I think this begs a question. If you're here this morning or you're watching us online, and you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you've placed your faith in him. How do you know if you're glorifying him? How do you know if you're glorifying him? Are you bringing glory to God by accomplishing the work that he has for you? How many of you cringed when we said we still needed help for Candy Kingdom tonight? Yeah, it all got really quiet, and no one wants to even move right now. I'm going to tell you what. He saved each one of you. Ephesians 2.10 said you are to be a workman. He's got a work for you. He designed you. Remember I told you that earlier? He scheduled your life out. He knows what he wants to accomplish through you. He knows how you can bring him glory. The question is, are you? And if you're not, why not? You are being incomplete in him because you're not doing what he set you to do. So there's two items I want us to consider when we think about Jesus accomplishing the work that the Father sent him to do on our behalf. First, related to salvation, listen to this. There is no work left to do. You should be rejoicing about that especially those of you who just kind of cringe when we said the candy kingdom thing. All right? Because you don't want to work. Some of you. So, but what happens is this. You look at it and you go, the work of the cross is done. It's done. You can't, you can't do anything now. That work has been done by someone else. And the only one qualified to do it is the one who did that work, and that's Jesus Christ. So when you look at it, you say, all right, so there's no work for us to do. There's nothing to be done 
because he finished the work. It's accomplished. It's done. And he even says it in chapter 19, verse 30, when they give him the sour water, he says, it is finished. The work I came to do is finished. I've done it. Be very careful. Be very careful that you don't add to the work that Jesus did. Don't try and add something to it. Don't. If you do, you're messing. You're messing with the wrong thing. If you come and say, I got saved by believing in Jesus and I did a lot of other things. Oh, no, 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 no. Don't say that. Only he, only the work he did on the cross is what will get you to God the Father. That's the only work that will work. Only through Jesus Christ can you get to the Father. Amen? Be careful that you don't add because if you do, you may not get the benefits of his work. All of your works are like filthy rags. Anything you could add to it would be just filthy rags. So don't take this wonderful work of art that God did on a cross and put filthy rags with it. Doesn't work. So that's one thing. The work is already done. You can just rest in that. Now, don't rest too long because the second point is Second thing I want you to see. So the work is done. But the second thing is there is much work for us to do still. There's still a lot of work that needs to be done. Right here at Valley, there's tons of things to do. In this community, how many of you think that everybody in Hercules has been reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ? How many of Rodeo, how many of you think Rodeo have been reached with the gospel? Everybody in Rodeo has now heard about Jesus Christ. And who he really is. How many of you think that? What about Richmond? What about Elsa Branding? What about Vallejo? All those been reached? No, we've got work to do. He did not save you for you to be passive. If you met him, you should want to go to work. Remember what he did for you. Too convicting. So we get to verse 5. We'll just go there right now. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Now, there's an urgency. Right now, I need it to happen. We need to get this done. The time is here. Let's get it done. Let's get it done now. I want to return back home. I'm about to be... Remember when he says glorify me in the early part of this, he's going to be completely abandoned. He's going to that cross pretty much by himself. There's no one around. All his so-called disciples are gone. So now it's like, bring me home. Let's get this done now, right now. There's an urgency. The time is at hand. There's an urgency. This is bookended prayer of, of verse 1. He's saying, glorify me. I'm, I'm going to glorify you in verse 1. And then he's saying, now glorify me again over here. Bring me back to the glory that I had previous to me coming to the earth. Actually, previous to the earth, period. Bring me back to that glory. He was equal, he is equal in glory to the Father. So let me ask you a couple of questions. As I studied this, as I came here this morning, Rebecca saw me and said, how you doing? I said, I'm good. She goes, something doesn't look right. I go, I don't know if I'll be able to preach this. Because as I looked at it, it just made me weep. That he would give up heaven and come down to do the will of his Father that you might know the Father. What a mystery. The mystery's been revealed. You can know him today, people. So I was thinking, when you leave here today, and you're already looking at your watches and we're over a little bit, and you're going, oh, I can't wait to get out of here. I got something to do. I got to do this. I got to do that. What will you remember from here today? What's the thought that you will have as you walk out the door? Will you recount anything about this wonderful, majestic Savior who was glorified with the Father? He lived in glory for so long, then he came on your behalf, and he died on your behalf, and he has eternal life in his hands today. He has it for you if you'll believe. 
But if you're here and you believed, how, when you look at him from, I mean, these are incredible heights. It's like we're standing on a ladder, really up in the air, looking at who he is. How can we be lukewarm? With a Savior like this, how could you be lukewarm? How could you not want to share him? How could you be dull of spirit? How could you not attend? How could you not be with one another? Oh, I want to be with people that know him. I also want to be with those that don't because we're, we've been commanded to, play, to beg and plead with them to be reconciled to the Father through Jesus Christ. So you want both. But when it comes time to come together and worship, I want to be with all of you. I miss you at home. I want you to be in the building with us. <laughs> What's wonderful is that Christ has already been restored to the glory that he had before. He's sitting at the right hand. He's interceding on us even today. He's interceding for us even today. He's interceding on my behalf right now that I might be able to get some words out that you'll understand. But then I want to talk to you that have never believed in him. You've never placed faith in him. It all seems like a crutch. It all seems like just some la-la thing. You can't quite grasp it. Oh, I wish that God would deal with your heart today. There is no other Savior. This is the Savior, the one that prays. You can get this prayer for you today if you'll place faith in him. This prayer will be your prayer from him if you would place faith in him. You see, there's only one Savior. There's only one way. If you're holding on to anything else, any other thing, it won't get you across the bridge that, that Christ provided. Now is the time. Today is the day of salvation. Don't wait till tomorrow. You may not have it. You might walk out that door today and on your way home get in an accident. I'm not wishing that on anyone, but you may get in an accident on the way home and never get another chance to accept this Savior. And it's really simple. Remember I told you earlier, the work has already been done. He did everything necessary Everything that was necessary, he's already done it. You just have to accept the free prepaid gift. Oh, I would that you would know our Savior. I want you to know him. I want you to be able to spend eternity with not just me. I might not be good enough reason, but for the Savior, you'll get to see him face to face one day. Don't get caught separated from him. Get caught being in him. You see, you're not guaranteed tomorrow or another moment. The time is right now. Eternity is only a short time away. I'm 64 years old next month, and it's gone by like that. But eternity's right around the corner. And timing is everything. Today, right now, is the time. Today is the hour for you to get to know this Savior. Today is the hour for you to correct the behaviors in your life that makes you look like you don't know the Savior. And you know what I'm talking about. All that you would make him number one in your life. I will promise you this. If you do, you'll never You'll never, ever be sorry for it. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for the truth of the Word of God. Wow, what a look that we have been privileged to have in looking in this John chapter 17. It's a passage that changed my prayer life, God. As I read it every day for 30 days, Oh, what a difference it makes. I just pray that if someone's here who doesn't know you because he doesn't, hasn't been introduced to your son, 
that today would be the day. That today would be the day that they would grab an elder or a deacon or somebody around here and say, I want to know the Jesus that he was talking about. I want to know that Jesus, the glorified Christ. I want him. Oh, would you let it happen today, Jesus? Would you let it happen today, Father? Every time someone comes to you, I think it glorifies you. He brings, it's one more reminder that the Son brought you glory. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. You are dismissed. Justice and praise become a 